On today's episode, Tales from the Couch, Boston finally takes down Atlanta. All the different things that happen in the game and a bigger picture question for Atlanta. Kevin Clark, we're talking draft, we're recapping everything, our favorite picks, the biggest storylines. Will Levis still sitting there. And we go abroad again, three races into the F1 season. Life advice, let him swing. Enjoy. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Tales from the Couch, Playoff Edition. Let's go to Atlanta. So we all know how the series is gone at the beginning of it. I was like, okay, it's playing out pretty much how I thought it would. And then Celtics blow a couple leads. And then game five was the really crazy one, right? Because you're sitting there going, how did they lose game five at home to close out the Hawks? Giving Philly a little extra time as well. 12-2 out of the gates, Boston. Uh, will this game be easy? No. And that was kind of one of the first things like early on in the first half. I'm like writing down going, hey, this is going to be a game. And it's 68-67 Boston at the half. I always look for the free throw stuff to see how a game is going to be called because I do think that there are crews that are more impressionable than the others. I think the playoff crews are less impressionable. You can just have a regular season night where you go, okay, this person's not even the closest official and they're making this call from like the other side. And I thought when Trey got two of his initiating contact fouls, I was like, uh-oh, Boston could be in some trouble here because he got two of those. I had the bullshit foul counter at four uh, for this one, but it's that drive parallel and then lean into the defender as the defender's not even doing anything or initiating any of the contact. And they uh, they started calling this. Whereas game five, Trey did not even attempt a free throw until 139 left in the game. So that was something I was looking at. It really was Jalen Brown against Trey in the first half. Trey had 18 points. He was incredible. Uh, so not to, I don't, Maybe I should have said that part first instead of the free throw thing, but because I have another part of it a little bit later on. Um, 34 of Atlanta's points. <laughs> the, the 34 that they scored to start this game, Trey had 18. 
And once the foul part of it comes in and his ability to make plays for his teammates that are around the rim, like it can be a pretty helpless feeling at times against Young because of his incredible offensive talent. Um, Jalen Brown was kind of carrying Boston there for a while. Um, Trey had 25 in the first half. But really, it wasn't so much about just Trey that was keeping him in this game. It was that the others were really good. You know, the depth that I talk about for Atlanta you know, if you're out there and you're playing 20 to 30 minutes a night, it means you're pretty good, right? And that if you're open, you're probably going to hit some shots or you're going to make some good decisions. But, you know, John Collins, who had nothing in the first four games, had 22 in game five. Last night he had 16, but it was six to eight shooting. He was hitting everything, which is not always the case with Collins. And I don't know if it's the finger thing. He just never, have, he's never felt like a fit for his talent. I'm not telling you I love him, but it's just never quite, felt like it was the right thing, even though I understand them not wanting to lose the asset and paying the money. DeAndre Hunter, who I legitimately do like. I know everybody hates the contract. He had 20. The shooting wasn't necessarily terrific. But the other thing with Hunter that you'll notice when you're trying to figure out what Boston is doing offensively, because Atlanta's not that hard to figure out offensively because Trey's going to run it all. And having said how predictable I think they can be, uh, they were better offensively in the second half of the series than I thought that they would get to. Because I think it's actually, you get more used to them and then you start realizing what's going on. And that wasn't necessarily happening with Boston these last couple of games. And that's the part, if you're looking at at least from Boston's hopes and not not my geographical attachment, but if you're a Celtics fan and you're thinking, wait, is Boston going to have like a Milwaukee on their hands here? Now, granted, that was five games the other way, but like, is this is this series actually getting harder instead of easier? Is Atlanta feeling themselves a little bit more? Do they have so much confidence after game five that, this thing could be going back to Boston for a game seven when I do think it's fairly clear to me when I watch both teams play that Boston is the superior basketball team. But the depth that I've always liked, um, part of that is Hunter defensively, who maybe can get a little upright because of his size, but his size alone was an impediment at times where Tatum would be setting up on the wing, trying to figure out what he wanted to do, and he was less likely, at least it felt like, to attack Hunter in some of those spots that I saw from last night. So... Uh, on top of that, Bogdanovich had 12 points in his 20 minutes. So there's balance now with Atlanta. So even though Trey had taken 33 shots in game five and won that one, which is an absurd hero-level finish, uh, this was more about balance once Trey had gotten all his points in the first half because they needed that balance because Trey didn't shoot it all that well in the second half. I started really looking at um, the Celtics' defense in the fourth quarter. This is completely – this is not to the number. It's not complete. Like, I was just tracking the fourth quarter stuff. Maybe Atlanta had, like, 28 possessions. I felt like there was great defense from Boston, like 18 of those. They still gave up 20 points, so it wasn't – if you just look at the box score and go, oh, well, you know, they scored 20, it's like, like they completely shut them down. It actually spoke to, I thought, the shot-making around Trey and Murray falling apart at that point. Uh, there's also a stretch there where it's 7.59 left in the third – and it's a five-point possession, right? A five-point possession because they call a flagrant on Horford, a flagrant one on Horford on a closeout against Trey Young. And aside, when I'm at home watching these games and I see that the offensive player's foot drifts forward and that's why he landed on the closeout, and the announcers are like, oh, that's an emphasis. That's his landing area. You got to give the shooter room. And then the officials watch the same video I'm watching. I'm like, well, clearly his, his, his foot swayed forward. 
They're not going to call that a flagrant. And I think everything's going to be a flagrant now. And then it ends up being a flagrant. And then everybody's just in some unison agreement. I start to lose my fucking mind. I don't care who the player is. I'm serious. I don't care who the player is. When I see it, I go, now they're, one day they're going to go, what happened to that guy, Rosillo? Like, oh, yeah, it's kind of sad. Went crazy. Really? Oh, it's because he by himself all the time? No. Drugs? No, he's not a drug guy. Loves ski towns, went to UVM. Actually, had seen fish recently, but no, no. He, uh, he's not a drug guy. What happened? The closeout fouls. Yeah. He just, he fucking snapped. He was just home. He had the TVs on and he couldn't do it anymore. So there you go. Five-point possession. Uh, Atlanta in this, in this in a real way. 5-0-1 left in the fourth quarter. Hawks are up 113-110. Uh, Jalen Brown makes an incredible three against a nice closeout. Really good contested shot there, right? Uh, at 432, hey, does a coach want to make an awful coach's challenge? Step right up, Boston Celtics. So there's an out-of-bounds kind of melee off a rebound. The ball goes off of – it looked like it went off the Celtics to me, but it was kind of close enough. There's only nine seconds left on the shot clock, all right? Spolster, who's better than everybody – if you didn't learn from him keeping that challenge in his back pocket and how important that was in closing out Milwaukee in game five, then none of you guys are ever going to learn. It's almost like there was an NBA coaches seminar where it was like, hey, the the purpose, our mission statement at coaches challenge seminar is to try to have you use them at the wrong time. It's it's gotten worse during the playoffs. Like we had one in the first half the other day, Bud's challenge. Bud had honestly one of the worst nights ever. I, I was funny because somebody asked me, he's like, do you think Bud will get fired? I was like, yeah, I think he might. Um, like, Do you think he'll get another job again? I'm like, these guys always get jobs again. But I would honestly interview Bud just to ask him what happened that night. Like if I owned a team, I'd be like, hey, do we have Bud in? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, all right. We're not giving him the job. Are we? No, <laughs> we're not hiring him. I just want to ask him. When I'm like, so what happened with this? What happened with that? It's like when LeVar Ball went to a sneaker company and was in the, this is a real story. He was in a conference room with the people that mattered and he asked for like a billion dollars. And guys started texting other people at the company that had nothing to do with it to be like, you have to come down here right now to conference room C. This is this is unbelievable. Get in here. And it's like, oh, hey, this is, you know, Dave, he's part of the ops team. They'd be like, oh, what's going on? And it was just such a show when they knew there was no way there was ever going to be a deal to be made. That's what I would do with an interview with Bud. Okay. All right. So the challenge of stuff doesn't make any sense. I'd have a pretty hard and fast rule about that being in the last two minutes of a close game. There would be exceptions. Uh, perhaps there could be an exception for a player who's getting his third personal foul in the first half. Uh, but in this case, with nine le seconds left on the shot clock and, a, and a one that didn't look like you had any chance, like Kerr's challenge where it led to the Chris Weber, Steph Curry timeout. That challenge didn't make any sense. It was almost like, well, I just have the challenge, so I guess I'll use it. So coaches have to be better with these, okay? They have to be better, and oddly, they're getting worse. Okay, so 113-110 to 121-113. We mentioned the Jalen Brown three. Um, the thing that happened here, all right, during this 11-0 run was Tatum against the double-team pressure at the top of whatever they were trying to run on offense. Now, we've seen it before in this series, but the plan would be Tatum is at the very top and Atlanta would want to bring up as much pressure as they could. 
And a lot of what you'll see with a basketball team and a coach and how they'll figure this stuff out, it's like, okay, well, where do we want the ball like to initiate whatever we're doing, right? Do we want it on the side? And then you can get kind of caught in some trap stuff. There was some stuff that Boston was doing to Trey Young where if he was later in the shot clock and he was against the sideline, they'd actually trap that, try to trap him there. And, you know, Trey is usually heady enough to kind of get out of and make a right play, but at least you're putting the pressure on him getting a little late in the shot clock. We're like, all right, what's he going to do? Atlanta was doing it this stretch late in the game uh, like they had before, but it almost felt like Boston was going, all right, don't, don't go to a side. Keep it at the top. Or if you're going to go to the side, don't go too far to the side because what they want, and it's that old uh, Golden State stuff that they used to do whenever anybody would try to trap the basketball, is it'd be that short roll where now all of a sudden you have Marcus Smart as this outlet who's a passer, right? Who's a really good passer seeing things. Look, I know I'm not trying to t- act like he's he's Steve Nash, but he's capable of seeing the plays that are out there in front of him uh, if he wants to. And Smart was able to do that really well last night. But I feel like Atlanta almost helped Boston out a little because Boston was so ready for it. Tatum did, a, did such a good job against it. They got open looks against it every single time. Where I have to wonder, like, if you're on Atlanta staff the next day, if you look back on it going, did we actually make it a little too easy? Because that's what happened. That's what happened. Tatum was ready for it. He's big enough. He makes the pass. Now you're playing four on three. It's the Horford three. Um, there was a, the tip back dunk, which maybe really sealed it here from Tatum, where unfortunately for Atlanta, Hunter just kind of let him drift right past him. But here's what I think is even more interesting. is you're watching all this play out, uh, which leaks into my head a little bit about some of the reluctance that I've seen from Boston. And I'm only looking at Boston the same way I was in Milwaukee, being like, can this team win an NBA championship? So I'm going to be a little harsher about this. I feel like the ball gets stuck with those guys a little, man. I do. And that this defensive scheme actually kind of un- unstuck them because they were just so ready for it. It was so consistently the same thing that they were facing. Now, if Boston had lost this game, I promise you, this is what happens today locally, big time, uh, nationally as well, TV shows. Tatum took uh, two shots in the fourth quarter. Two. Two field goal attempts the entire quarter. If they lost that game, you'd be like, what's up with Tatum? You know, Because Tatum does have a lot of games. You're like, how how dominant is he being? Only because we look at him separately than we do Jalen Brown and the other 475 players in the league going, this dude could win an MVP, right? And that's... That's what that's a standard that Tatum is held to. And I I'd admit there are parts of me where I'm like, you know what? He's awesome, but it just might be a, a sliver below the awesome of the awesome. So now that I think we're probably on the same page with that one, I'm not asking you all to agree with me here. I just think it's one of those those things no one will ever remember he only took two shots in that fourth quarter. If they had lost, like if Atlanta had made a bunch of their shots. Uh, Boston defense wasn't as good, or if Horford doesn't make the three, Jalen doesn't make his three, Smart doesn't make his three late. It's like Tatum only took two shots, and he's your alpha. Well, he only took two shots because it was by design, because of what Atlanta was doing to him. You know, sometimes we want guys to be like, I don't care, just take five shots against a double team and have them all be terrible. Show us that you're a closer. Uh, really interesting, at least to me. Maybe you don't find it as interesting. All right, so final thought on all of this. The Celts-Philly thing. Last Sunday, Boston was up 3-1, and they hadn't played game five yet. And, you know, I'm feeling really good about Boston. But if I'm holding these teams to the same kind of standard, 
you know, Philly getting this extra time is huge because the Embiid part of it. I still like Boston the series, but them struggling in game five scares me a little. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I would re- but then I think sometimes we're all incredibly unfair about these teams that we think are the title contenders. Like anytime somebody's like, oh, they'll probably sweep them. I never think anybody's going to sweep anybody because I just feel like today's NBA player, more so in the last couple of years, it's like, all right, we got these guys. Like we can relax. So that's why I never think anybody's actually going to sweep. And I don't think Denver necessarily relaxed against Minnesota in the one game that they lost because then they almost stole that one and came back anyway in overtime. So I don't know that that's one where you're saying they're taking it off. So maybe Denver's actually better than everybody else. It still feels weird to say that. So yeah, I like Boston in this series, but I would I felt a lot better about it when it felt like they were clearly dominant against Atlanta. Last, last thing here, the Trey Young part of it. Uh, I know I'm hard on him. And I'm hard on him because if you're going to have the keys to a franchise, then I'm going to start talking about you in comparison to like the other 19 or 20 guys that matter in that conversation and the all-star accolades and all that stuff. The positives of Trey. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody better on the dribble drive and then plays at the rim. Harden, prime Harden in Houston was incredible, ironically, with Clint Capella. But then they had a trade so that Westbrook could actually make layups. Harden was great at it. I think Trey's actually better, even though Harden has more to him with the size and his drives. But when you're playing backwards against Trey on those drives, and he's so quick, and his timing and his hands, and then throwing the pass when you're not expecting it, throwing the pass at different different areas around the rim, it's it's really hard to deal with. Now, your entire offense can be based on that kind of stuff, even if you're constantly feel like you're you're stuck in between as an offensive player, or excuse me, as a defensive player on that. Because if you go up on Trey's throwing the pass over the top of you, if you constantly retreat without anyone else rolling, then you're just in between and you're fucked. Like you watch Horford on those, who's an awesome defensive player, great instincts, one of the smartest players in the league. There's not much you can do. So you have that part with Trey that's great. The other thing that I would give Trey a ton of credit for is that he, for all of the, the things that I worry about with players coming out of the draft, how's this guy built or whatever, and we saw it against uh, Philly two years ago and it was really kind of funny because I'm like ben, ben Simmons is scared to death and the guy the least scared is the smallest and that's what Trey has had to be his entire life because he's small and everybody's doubted him and he plays that way you know the heart inside of that kid uh, is incredible now let's see what it's going to be like with a, a full year with Quinn Snyder I think that's what's important um, it would be great if anyone could get through to him going, hey, those five to seven possessions where you just decide to do whatever you want to do, like I know you can make the deep three, but you know sometimes it's just awful. Sometimes it's just an awful decision. And if you can eliminate those and it's five extra shots for your teammates, like, dude, you can get 30 every single night if you want to get 30, but can you get 24 and have everybody else feel a little bit more engaged because I thought the rest of his supporting cast, if you're scoring, you're more engaged defensively. And even though they fell apart there at the end, they fell apart, I thought, more because of scheme and how tough those rotations are going to be once Tatum started making that pass. So I don't know if that part of it would get through to Trey. Because the other, the negative side of this is that I've never felt like any teammates have stood up for him publicly or anonymously or publicly in a non-bullshit predictable way. Um, we could talk about all the coaching changes, the front office changes, the ownership dynamic, the sun part of it, all these things that I don't like about the story the last couple of years. 
What what would scare me a little bit is I think even if you're a Trey fan or you look at me as like a hater, I think we'd all agree it needs it needs an adjustment because this team is too good to be in the play in the last two years. You know, be a fucking six seed. That's all I'm asking here, right? Win like 48 games and not 41. I wonder if that game five empowers Trey. Be like, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm good. It's clear I'm good. Look how deep the game winner was. As much as it's a positive that Atlanta ended up being more competitive at the end of this series than the beginning, I wonder if it's just a continuation of everything we've seen because Trey leaves this going, hey, they're better than us, but did you see me in game five? Did you see me hit that shot? I wonder if that actually could be thought to have a negative influence on his willingness to change. Because I think we would all, again, at both ends of the Trey Young spectrum, we would all agree it needs some kind of adjustment for him to be thought of as somebody who's praying. I'm not even talking about being like a one seed or winning the East or any of that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about not being disappointing two years in a row because the full result for that roster, I believe, is actually disappointing despite the positives against Boston. The NBA playoffs are here, and you can turn crossovers into cash with FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, right now and place a $5 bet, and you'll get an instant $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. I will take Sacramento plus 7.5 points tonight at Golden State. I don't think there are 7.5 points worse than Golden State. I know that building. I know everybody's going to be horrified. They're down 3-2. I don't think it's a 7.5 point gap between the two teams. So there you go. That's my thought process. There's no better place to bet in all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Just go to FanDuel.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, and sign up to get $150 in bonus bets when you bet your first five bucks. FanDuel, America's sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued to this non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com forward slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com forward slash RG, Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-800-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT, Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP. In Louisiana, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit mahelpline.org forward slash problem gambling in Massachusetts. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-389 in New York, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. It's been a bit, and we're excited because we're going to talk NFL draft. We're going to talk everything that happened last night, maybe a look ahead, as well as checking in on the F1 season, three races in. Kevin Clark, our good friend, congratulations on the advancement of your seed. 
I appreciate that. Sarudi and I have gone through it the last couple of uh, of months. It's been enjoyable. Sarudi and I are going to meet in central Connecticut and have a meeting of the babies at some point. Sarudi, is that New Haven for us? No. New, yeah, but, you know, Fairfield County. I'll come down to, closer to you. That's fine. It's tougher for okay. you to get into Connecticut, isn't it? That's fine. I, I live like 20 minutes from Connecticut. It's fine. We'll meet at, we'll meet at an outdoor bar and we'll, we'll can compare notes bar, on babies. Bar in New Haven. It's, it's a date. Okay, okay. great. See? I'm glad we did this. Sucks I don't have a kid or live in central Connecticut. I could show up, but that's all right. A uh, lot of new kids on NFL rosters, though. Let's talk about the draft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a couple different starting points here, story-wise. I think Ant- Anthony Richardson, at least the headline, Yeah, there was a good sense Bryce was going to go one. We can get into the CJ part of this and then Houston's draft at the top with both picks, but Richardson going to the Colts. I don't blame the Colts for going Rivers, Wentz, Matt Ryan. I actually don't. I, I mm. For all the jokes like, oh, they, they can't do that again. I wonder, though, how much that influenced Ursay ownership and all the way down of them saying, let's just do it a different way now with Richardson, who it would be kind of surprising if he was ready to go week one. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Richardson is tantalizing in a way a lot of prospects aren't. Like I saw the quote from the, post-draft press conference is basically like from Steichen. There's just not a lot of guys who can do that. Um, and that's why, by the way, that I feel like Levis fell is because Levis was a toolsy guy who needed to be coached up and Richardson was just a significantly better version of toolsy guy who should be coached up. Um, it's a quarterback-driven coaching staff. It's a quarterback-driven franchise. They want to have the Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, Let's have him sit for 10 years and they were going to keep rolling over, be there for 10 years and they're going to keep rolling over until they they found that. Basically, they weren't going to try to draft a quarterback until they knew they had the guy. Um, They think Richardson can be that guy. I'm fascinated to see it. I agree with you that ownership, the shorthand in all ownership meetings is what's our plan of quarterback? Every GM, every assistant GM I talk to, they say that if there's not a quarterback, the owner just wants to know, well, what's our plan? What's our plan of quarterback? If you don't have an answer, that's when you start either getting fired or about to be fired. Um, and so I understand Ballard wanting to, to answer that question once and for all. His wagon is hitched to Richardson. Um, this is kind of make or break for him. I'm with you and I don't blame them for playing sort of the quarterback roulette wheel every single year instead of just going um, all in on a mediocre guy in the middle of the first round. We know how sometimes that can bite guys. So I, I'm intrigued to see how this Richardson thing goes. I would just like to see him in a franchise that just gives it a little more patience. Because I think at this point, he's always had this sort of marketing problem around him, which is that people can't stop talking about how amazing he is. Like Billy Napier came out before the Kentucky game on SEC Network and said he was a mixture of Cam Newton and Dak Prescott. And then he lays an egg against Kentucky and everybody says, well, what the hell is this? And now we're coming out and we got all these quotes about how generational and Napier again said he was generational yesterday. Now um, a couple people around the Florida program say, oh, once in 50 years type of guy, like let's all calm down. Let's let him be Josh Allen. Let's let him be Josh Allen and have low expectations to get coached up in the offensive uh, scheme and let him come along as the season progresses and have a great year two and a year three. Let's not have these expectations where he's going to set the world on fire in September because I think it's going to be a little slower development track. I'm I'm so like, I don't know, as I've I've talked about this over the years, the quarterbacks in the first round, like I'm 
I'm more uncertain than ever before now because I'm combining the history with all the times you were like, well, nobody thought this guy would be any good. So I'm not for it. I'm not against it. McShay last night said that he was the best physical prospect he's ever seen at the quarterback position. Okay. But I mean, I understand his point. He's like between how quickly he gets the ball, how strong it is, and the fact that he's running a 4-4 and at all the size. Like, I don't blame the Colts for doing it. I don't. It would scare the the shit out of me. But then again, I could take somebody that, you know, played more than 13 games and feels a little bit more prototypical behind center. And it doesn't mean that guy's going to work out either. So, I mean, that's kind of why with Bryce Young, despite my concerns about his size, I was like, whatever, you guys screw this up with dudes that supposedly check every box physically. So you might as well take this one. So um, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what happens. I just hope that they don't they don't throw him right into it because it depends on what you watched uh, with yep. him. If you watched him two years ago, you're like, I can't believe he went fourth. If you watched him earlier this season, you're like, okay, this makes sense. And then it depends on what you read or what you hear and what you believe on what he was really dealing with. Was it a was it an offense where Napier was throwing so many things at him so soon in his first year that you're like, what what are you doing to your guy? Was there an adjustment to him defensively? Because I've heard all these things, I've read all these things. I just know that this is a a massive bet by a franchise that I wonder if they just got frustrated by their own history. Okay, when you break down the Texans moving up to number three, mm. Arizona moves out of number three, Houston gets that one. Arizona got 12-33, a first and third in 24. That felt like a massive price to move up for a non-quarterback of Will Anderson. And I like I really like Will Anderson, but he's not, we've heard this from so many of the, the sort of media scouts, Daniel Jeremiah, McShay, Bucky Brooks, all those guys, and then just, just my own eyes. Well, Will Anderson is not on the level of a Bosa or a Miles Garrett where the athleticism was such that he cannot fail. Um, there have been reports that he's one of the hardest workers who's ever come through a Saban program. I love that. He's a culture guy. I'm, I'm in on that stuff. But to give up that much, it gives me pause. And, and I wonder a little bit if some of the rumors about Nick Casario getting fired didn't kind of creep in here where Nick Casario says, okay, we need to solidify things right now because there's already, not only was there a rumor that I'm going to get fired, there was a rumor that literally they named the replacement, which was Adam Peters. Um, and so like, you don't want that. You, you don't want, I'm getting fired rumors and you definitely don't want, here's who's replacing me rumors. Those are the two things you don't want. And so I wonder if they're trying to accelerate the timeline a little bit. I'm a little bit, if I were Houston, I really have tried to um, roll myself over and try to be a Drake May, Caleb Williams team. I really would have tried to do that and take one more year. You don't have any place to go. It's not like you were ready to accelerate the timeline from a competitive standpoint. If I'm an NFC team right now, looking at the way that that conference is aligned, I would do everything I can to be good this year because I think it's wide open. If I'm an AFC team, I'm looking at how many nailed-on playoff teams there are. I'm going to say, you know what? What if we took an extra year? What if we took an extra two years? Because Houston is definitely not in that mix. And that's why I would have probably rolled it over another year. Um, now I'm wondering what happens if Arizona becomes a top two team next year and maybe has to take a quarterback or yeah, I, I, I know there's a lot of scenarios there and, and who those top two, top two teams are next year is as intriguing as anything in this draft, in my opinion. But if I'm Houston right now, I just don't know. One of the things that, that I've talked about a lot with Houston is how self-aware their rebuild has been. Um, they knew they were going to be bad. They weren't trying anything special. They were just getting a bunch of draft picks and taking it slow. And I wonder if that's still the course 
after last night. I really do like CJ Stroud, and I do believe he is. He throws the prettiest ball of anybody in in the league. I'm sorry, in the draft last night. Um, I'm in on Stroud as a prospect. I just don't know the timeline right now in Houston. Will Levis is the ultimate headline from the first day, and he is still available on the second day. Uh, I would easily place him fourth of the four quarterbacks. This is still a surprise. There are some teams in the second half of the first round where you went, okay, would they maybe you know add depth to it? So sometimes when somebody falls, it's like, wait, the evaluation was totally off. I was reading Bruce Feldman this morning at Athletic, and they had a bunch of quotes. And again, Bruce is the kind of guy where you're like, look, he's heard this before. They're not doing a play the results thing. But it just was kind of like, hey, I never really saw it, or he didn't do this. It was funny, even last night on the post-draft wrap-up, McShay was talking about how like in meetings, Levis really bums some teams out. So he's still sitting there. Let me just get your reaction to the overall story instead of a question. Yeah, all right. So I heard the same thing about the interviews were not sterling. What's funny to me, Ryan, is you and I watch a lot of college football. And if with Stroud and Young, from the time they were starters, like September of their first year of starters, we're like, all right, they're going to be one-two, right? And with Levis, there was a, especially a lot of buzz when he had Liam Cohen as offensive coordinator last year, 2021. Um, that took a step back in 2022 a little bit when they didn't have Liam Cohen and, and Liam Cohen's with the Rams. He's back at Kentucky, by the way. Um, everybody's very happy about that in Lexington. But I think that um, everything shook out the way it was probably supposed to. And I don't think Levis was really ever a first round talent. I think he was, I said, I said earlier, a toolsy guy who was out toolsed by Anthony Richardson. So if you're intrigued by that. And then I think the fact that there are two legitimately great prospects next year starts to shade this. I also think that you know you look at the Jordan Love thing in Green Bay, if you have a quarterback right now, you don't want to destabilize your franchise by taking a guy like Will Levis and saying we'll let him develop for three years. That that screws with everything now. We we already learned that. Um and so if if I'm just looking at these teams and I was going through it earlier, I did a pod with, with Lindsey Jones and I'm looking and I'm seeing what matters here? Um, you know, do the Rams say screw it? We don't know what the deal with Stafford is. He's played in Liam Cohen's offense and, and knows the McVay system. Let's just take him at 36. They have other needs. Um, do, are there a bunch of teams? You know, do the Raiders say let's get a developmental guy? Uh, I just don't I don't know. Do the Cardinals try to get a stopgap thing? I just don't know where this goes. Um, so I think that Levis is probably going to get drafted probably where he he belongs. I don't think I, I saw Joe Banner this morning talking about the toe injury and how it's probably a little fake and how they leaked that sort of as a cover to to for for other things um, when the process that, that you alluded to. I don't think that there was some debilitating toe injury that that got him out of the first round. I mean, we're, everybody's leaking CJ Stroud's S two scores, and we don't find out that Will Levis has some toe injury that's concerning all teams. I do think that's overblown. Um, so I don't. I, I feel bad for Levis just in the sense that. You know, he's sitting there on camera and he's got three people around him who are and they're all trying to put on a brave face. But I don't think this is some football tragedy. This is not, um, you know, this, uh, I, there, there was no market for him and that's being shown. The sitting around and watching all the time, you know, it's. It becomes like doom porn in a way right? <laughs> where. There are times when players fall and I'll be at home going like, well, what? What did you think? Like, did you think you were going two? You know, but I cannot say this enough. Players will listen to the most positive version 
of, of events when they're about to be drafted and then believe those. The number of times where you will hear from somebody be like, well, I was actually supposed to go here and be like, well, who told you that? An agent? Somebody close to you? Was there somebody who was like, hey, you're kind of in the eight to 20 range. And then when eight comes up and you don't go eighth, that guy freaks out. Like even Aaron Rodgers, that was always weird because when he fell, he hit that. And it happens to quarterbacks a lot. You'll hit this stretch in the first round where you're like, wait, if he doesn't go here, then I don't see how like the next seven teams take him. Yeah. And that's happened with guys in the past. But I know it sucks. I know it sucks for him. And it's part of the broadcast. So like these people go and stop showing him. Uh, the thing that bothered me maybe the most about him sitting around was that I think this is now a, a line in the sand. Like last night was a part of history. Okay. History happened last night. We will always forget or excuse me. We will always remember. Never forget. Uh, we will always remember that ESPN <laughs> created an analytic that told the audience the percentage chance that this player would still be available. And once yep. it went to 1.8% chance ESPN analytics that, that Will Levis would be available, I was like, wait, what the fuck is that? For everybody, the Embiid and Jokic soldiers out there battling the last three years, you know, they would, the Embiid side would say, well, you guys are just making up stats. You'd be like, what do you mean? The stats that Embiid is also incredible in as well? Like, I know VORP sounds stupid, but it actually serves a purpose. Baseball has been doing it for decades. I don't base everything on VORP. So, even if people were like, oh, this is a made-up thing, well, it's just math. You may not yeah. like the math. You may not like the route. You may not like the conclusion, but it's this is actually made up. <laughs> I looked it up. I was like, I have to know what the formula was. And I'm not trying to dog it here because now I kind of feel bad that this is being so specific, but it was based on mock scouting reports and team needs. That was that was what went into this. So now it's like, oh my God, Will Levis has gone to 1.8% available to now 0.8? Like, does he know? And so I'm looking at that going, that is unnecessary. And I feel like we were all part of history. Agree. I will say the one thing that did surprise me is nobody traded up in the back half of the first because one of the value parts of the first round is you have the fifth year option, which you don't have in the second round. And so if you like a quarterback at all, if you have any inkling, you like him as a quarterback, you want to take him so you can control, can control him next year. It's basically the football version of service time manipulation, right? Where it's like, okay, we, we have this guy under contract for one more year. It's great. So I am surprised, but the Chiefs weren't going to trade out a 31. I mean, Clark Hunt is, you know, given out. He's got the trophy up there. They, they had no chance. And then at 30, the Eagles really wanted Nolan Smith. And so he was kind of locked out in that in that regard. And I think the Eagles are obviously crushed the draft last night. But I just think that there there weren't a lot of options for Levis in the the obvious places at the end of the first. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I could not. You had no issue with the analytics on that one. Uh, I I do not think. Uh, I don't think they should bring it back. I don't. I don't know. I don't know uh, if if the. Uh, this guy is going to go here. Analytics is uh, is as, as like you know, is as cut and dry as as o, as OPS. I just want to know if one guy watching last night turned to his buddy over a couple of beers was like, you know, only about a twelve percent chance that guy was going to be there. 
what's funny because we watch Formula One and it's like exactly like, all right, well, in uh, Hamilton is going to get caught by Max Verstappen in three and a half laps at this turn. And it's exactly right. And it's like some guy from Oracle spent 30 years just kind of going through all this stuff. And then meanwhile, at the NFL draft, it's like, uh oh, well, we didn't. Jameer Gibbs wasn't supposed to go there. Our entire model was wrecked. Okay, perfect segue. Running backs back in again. Uh, Atlanta takes Bijan Robinson at eight. And I feel like everybody was like, hey, this is really good. And you know what? He is that good. Uh, if you yep. use him the right way, if you want to do a Le'Veon Bell, Christian McCaffrey thing, they were talking about lining him up in the slot. Like, he is that good. I just feel like running backs, man, it's like drafting an awesome post player in the NBA. Like, it's cool. Mm-hmm. You can do all those things. But we're probably not going to use it that much because there's other things that get us more yardage, more points than handing off. Running backs cannot control a football game the way they did when we grew up. And so that's another part of this and why you don't want to go ahead and take them. I think it's kind of funny that we've been all on the same page. Like, we all agreed on something that was right. And because we all agreed on it, now there's kind of this proud zag on running backs being like, you know, the running backs actually like some of the dumbest stuff that I've seen presented where there should be like a running back salary cap on its own. Yeah. And just why? So you can pay a guy even more that isn't primarily that important to you. Having said all of that, I'm cool with it. Jameer Gibbs at 12, who is awesome. Mm. I don't really get it. I'm I'm just I still wouldn't do it even if I like the players. Yep. I thought. Robinson was going to go top 10 because there were not a lot of first round grades floating around the league. I don't know if you saw it, but, but a couple of reporters said the number was probably between 15 and 17 first round grades on most boards. Brandon B in the Bills GM was asked last week how many first round grades he had. And he said, I'm not going to tell you the number, but it's not great, which is not what you want to hear going into an NFL draft. That's low. So I, it's that's usually low. on the low end years. It'll still be in the low 20s. Yes. And so I figured there were going to be teams in the top half of the first round, probably in the, the later stages of the top 10, where they were going to say, you know, we don't love these guys. Let's just take a running back. He's the top player on our board. Daniel Jeremiah had him third. Um, and, and most uh, teams had him as like the cleanest prospect. Not a lot of red flags, not a lot of issues. So I, I'm not surprised by that. The Gibbs thing is disappointing to me because we talk so much about how a rebuild should go and how there should be a proof of concept by the end of year two that you're on the right track. Who did that better than the Lions last year? And I was with Brad Holmes, their GM, during the season last year, and he talked about the rebuild that they were doing and how basically the Stafford trade year and all of that, that was all kind of accidental. That they they didn't mean to tear it down, but they just kept making these moves and all of a sudden they looked and they had to tear it down in their hands. And so he referred to the sort of first, I guess you'd say, 14 months as the HVAC year. Uh, of the house where you're just building the house and you're getting the things in and now you're getting in. He said the chandeliers and all that stuff. So what I was intrigued to see once he said that was what the identity is going forward. I love Jack Campbell as a prospect. I love Jameer Gibbs as a prospect. You, you know, you just alluded to it. He's awesome. Jameer Gibbs played against Miami at Georgia Tech and I was in hell for an afternoon. Miami won that game by the grace of God. But man, he was really, really good. And Nick Saban really wanted him. He was one of the best transfers in the country last year. I understand why you'd want those guys in your team. Having said that, I saw someone had, uh, they do the kind of picks versus the consensus mock. And I believe that the Lions reached by about 44 picks combined. And I just think you could have traded down, gotten, you know, for your troubles, gotten a few more mid-round picks. Jameer Gibbs would have been there. If you're that in love with Jack Campbell, fine. But they also just paid a running back and a linebacker, fairly significant veteran money, Montgomery and Enzalone. And 
I just think you know the, the reason the union wants free agency before the draft is that so you don't fill up your needs at the draft. But one thing you can't do is fill your needs in both at the same time. Um, so I just I, I I really don't. I love what Detroit does. I love what they're building generally. But I just felt like they missed an opportunity. We look what Seattle did last night, where they get Witherspoon and JSN, and it's like these guys are going to help now. They're going to get better. Pete Carroll said that he's never really seen anybody like Witherspoon. They're going to build Legion of Boom 2.0 with Tariq Woolen on the other side. Like that to me was what the Lions had an opportunity to do where you go, okay, I see this. The team is complete. Let's go compete for, for a for damn Super Bowl, honestly. And I know um, Goff is not the quarterback you want in that situation, but still they leave the door open for, you know, Caleb Williams, Drake May. If they, if they really bought him out, they still have extra picks, all that stuff. Having said that, I just feel like they left some meat on the bone and that's what disappoints me. Yeah, it's a good point about the projected mock stuff and all that. Uh, I remember the first time like a GM just destroyed the whole mock process to me years and years ago in the NBA, and it's just something I've never forgotten because I think he's right. He's like, if there were no mocks, drafts would be different. But the problem is, is that it becomes kind of common acceptance. Be like, well, this guy's supposed to go here and this guy's supposed to go there. He's like, we'll take somebody ten that was supposed to go fourteen, and the fan base is like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's and it's ridiculous. Having said all those things, it felt like. Detroit reached twice. I mean, it was so bad for Jack Campbell at one point. They were like, did Dan take his son? <laughs> like, well, no, that was. He's an incredible not- athlete. He's an incredible athlete on the in the inside linebacker uh, combine data. He is one of the most athletic guys at the position this year. I really like him. I just don't know if that's the difference between year three being as special as it, as it could be. Look, I'm telling you right now, America needs football. Uh, Iowa. NFL factory, NFL factory. I, I point out I don't like their offense a lot, um, but it, it is always one of those things where when you look at how many guys will be on a roster opening week of the NFL season, um, there's more Hawkeyes there than they get credit for as far as that program is concerned. Okay, give me. You, uh, well, I, I, I do. I do want to say one thing. I do think it's funny that. Arthur Smith did this, the trope that is just so funny. Every time you draft a running back in the first round, you have to go, he's not just a running back. He's not just a running back. He's an impact football player. He's a football guy. And that's what Arthur Smith did. He said, yeah, conventional wisdom. He's a lot more than a running back. Just impact football guy. That's what he is. And it's like, no, you know what? You draft a running back. It's fine. It's fine. You don't have to pretend he's going to do 11 things. But you're right. Jameer Gibbs was horrifying. Like, that's how good he was. Yes. So none of this is about it. Like I'm, I like Alpi Shingun, all right, and they got him later. So it's not like they took him top ten in Houston. He's incredibly talented. I think he has the best post skills maybe in the entire league. I'm serious. Yep. His footwork, his hands, and all that kind of stuff. It's great. Nobody throws the ball to those guys anymore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yep. when you have an awesome running back, like it's cool, but it doesn't. You know what's going to happen. You know, third and four. What do you got? What, are the, what does the fan base want? You hand it off to the left side and it's crushed. You're going to be mad to even pass the football. So that's kind of where I am at the position. All right. Give me this is a little simpler here. Give me your favorite pick. Nolan Smith, probably Mo, one of the most athletic guys in the draft. Um, I think that something is happening here that I don't know if the NFL world is slightly has reckoned with. Uh, 
more than it should. Um, so here's the deal. I was following some of the recruiting guys last night, and they were talking about the amount of five stars that were getting drafted in the first round. And it's higher than ever. And that Cooper Batagna, former personnel guy for a bunch of college teams, was talking about this. The tape's gotten better. The evals have gotten better at high school. The camps have gotten better. The data. Georgia does a lot of GPS stuff to the point that we're actually pretty good and pretty efficient at figuring out who the guys are going to be. They're going to be picked in the first round three years uh, three years later. Okay. Um, and I think 13 five stars went in the first round, something like that, um, depending on what service you looked at. And when you start just taking Georgia guys, Kirby Smart recruits a high school defensive all-star team and then teaches them how to play football and implants that dog in them. And then they get drafted in the first round after winning a national championship. That's the structure. And you cannot go broke on just taking those guys over and over. Daniel Jeremiah had a funny tweet two years ago that somebody recirculated last night that was like, I'm watching Georgia, just draft them all. Just draft them all. And I don't, I think because we're kind of used to the talent being spread out, uh, I think we're we're kind of like, well, you can't just sit there drafting Georgia players. Yeah, you, you can. You can. Because the way recruiting has gone over the past decade, uh, about 60% of five stars went to the same five schools over and over again. Uh, Georgia has had, at worst, the second most talented roster by recruiting rankings in the last three years. Okay, So the entire time that Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith were there. And they take guys who are risks, frankly. Like, we know that. We've talked about that offline. Um, just the way Kirby tends to recruit. He takes risks and he says, we'll kick you off the team if you're a bad guy. Um, some of those guys do do get to the NFL. I think Philadelphia has a real advantage in that regard because you really can't be a shithead in that locker room. Because everyone's having a good time. Yeah, well, Ryan, you ever been on a trip with your buddies and like you want to be the shithead, you want to be a jerk, and everybody's like, we're actually having an amazing time. So like, you actually have to be a good guy. Like that, that is what happens when you're winning in a winning locker room. You're in a locker room with Jason Kelsey and Fletcher Cox and and Lane Johnson and guys who are going to teach you how to be a pro. You can't be a jerk in that locker room. And if you are, you're going to feel like an outsider immediately. There are teams. I was talking about this earlier today. I remember there was a really weird trade a couple of years ago, and somebody said. I asked somebody, I said, why did this trade get made? You know, bad value, big star. And they said, because that's the kind of guy who can't be in a losing locker room. Can't be in a losing locker room. Can only be in a winning locker room. And I think about that with, with some of the, you know, like a Jalen Carter, where there are red flags. Um, Ian Rappaport and Mike Florio both alluded to the fact that Georgia coaches didn't give glowing reviews. But if he's going to thrive anywhere, and if he's just going to ball out and, and put everything else aside, it's going to be competing for a Super Bowl which is Philadelphia. And so I put, put Kansas City in that bucket where they can take chances other teams can't. It'd be really hard for Houston to take that chance. It'd be really hard for Arizona, who's busy tampering with John and Jonathan Gannon, to take that chance. Philadelphia has that advantage. Nolan Smith, by the way, no red flags. Like, uh, great guy. Everybody loves him. He had the pec injury, which nobody was worried about. 239 pounds, was, which, which is a problem, um, but so athletic, and you're going to be able to figure out what to do with him. So until further notice, I'm taking Georgia guys over and over and over again. I remember somebody with the Dolphins years ago had said to me, if the Dolphins, the Dolphins took, I think, one glory day as Miami players, Vernon Carey. They said, the Dolphins should have just taken the best Miami player available for like a decade and things would have been great. Just don't overthink it. And we're there with Georgia now. And I don't think people really get it. I agree with you only because, you know, I watched Nolan two years ago and the fact that he's a little undersized at 
at the high 230s, knowing he's going into Philadelphia's front, which along with Jalen and the receivers was the other scariest unit, you know, in the NFL. And now you just start to cycle through like a position of strength. I like when teams do that. Be like, hey, you know what? We're really good here. Let's be even better because you know you're going to lose a couple of them anyway. And you're absolutely right with the Jalen Carter stuff because it wasn't it wasn't all the stuff that everybody heard about. It was the stuff after like the first glimpse of like, wait, what's going on with this dude? And it was it came down to a point with him. If you ask around where, you know, he had to be asked, like, hey, are you into this? Like some really weird shit for a guy that could have been the number one pick. And I, I shouldn't say it weird. It's just a professionalism, a dedication to be like, are you, are you aligned with the rest of us? And so to your point yeah. about in Philly, like, it's just not going to like, you know, he, he can't walk in there no. and pretend that it's his show where if it's a lesser roster, um, he's probably going to go about it a little bit differently depending on what you believe and what you've heard of Georgia. And let me just emphasize it again. When I say weird shit, I just mean just the staff having to go, hey, where's your head at with us? Like, are you are you all the way bought in? Because the rest of us are. And that's, I think, what was so surprising and frustrating for the Carter story in his last year. Though, If he comes in and does that in Philadelphia, they're going to be like, what are you doing, dude? Like, no one's going to really even pay attention. They're going to be like, okay, bro, this is a little weird. Like, do your own thing. The exceptions that you have to make for great talent in football at every level is significant. I heard a story years ago uh, from a scout who was talking about Greg Hardy. And he was saying that, I guess, I guess Greg Hardy would just not come to practice at Ole Miss sometimes. Just, just he's doing his own thing. Hey, where's Greg? I don't know. He's not, not a, not a practice. And uh, so the scout was like, Hey, I, I'm going into his junior year. I guess it's like, I'm going to tell the Hardys like, let's, let's, uh, let's start showing up to practice. Let's just like, there's a low baseline. You got to clear. Let's clear it. Okay. So, I guess Greg didn't take it that well and was like, yeah, I'm going to keep doing my own thing. And then we slipped in the draft and we kind of saw how his career played out. And so I was telling somebody else that story. And I thought that was the crazy story I ever heard that Greg Hardy wouldn't show up to practice. Right. And I'm talking to this GM at training camp and the, the GM is like, oh, we got a guy like that. And he named the guy. The guy was a top 20 receiver. Okay. He was like the guy, that guy would just skip practice in college all the time. And I was like, well, what the hell? And he's like, it is way more common than you think for a guy to be a historic shithead and then just turn it around at, at the NFL level. Like they get in the right system, they get in the right, they get in the right structure or just the, the money motivates them. I get that. And so you just, you have to take chances and you have to do things that make you very uncomfortable and you will hear stories from the college level that make you very, very, very queasy about a guy. And if the guy is a unique talent, you kind of got to eat shit. Yeah, and I love that Philly did it at the top. And then the only concern when it's a peck tear like that, nobody cares. Nobody's worried about it with that speed nope. and the fact that it's not like, hey, we took this guy ninth and we have no other interior lineman. We have no one on the other side. Our linebackers aren't that good. And then all of a sudden you're watching him going, like, does this guy ever make a play? You know, the focus is never going to be on Nolan Smith and the rotation of all those players. Uh, certainly not early on. The pick I loved. Uh, because I had Nolan Smith down as well, Dalton Kincaid to go to Buffalo. I, mm. I, I love it. I think he's he's really more than just um, you know, hey, this guy's got good hands and he's tough and he's all these different things. Like, there's some juice to him at the position. I would have liked Mayer too. I'm surprised Mayer is still available. I'm not surprised that Washington is still available. Now, hold on. Why, why is that? Because Washington is 20 pounds heavier than Meyer and faster. Because I watched enough to know that he's not the guy. Like that was, 
that was my thing with the mocks when I would see Washington ahead of mayor, I'd go, no, like, I just don't think he was, I think the highlights are fucking awesome, but I think over the course of the game, he's not the, the matchup nightmare that people project him to be because of his physical gifts. I will bet yeah, money that I mean, mayor has a better quarterback or I would, I would bet you money. Mayor has a better career than Washington. Hmm. Interesting. I, I'm not, I'm not all, I don't, I don't, I'm not surprised you haven't been going the first round. I just wouldn't stake much of a claim in my, I don't know. I like Washington. I like Washington's athleticism, but I would, I, I would, I, I don't, I'm not going to uh, stick my neck out for either of those guys. I do like, I do like Kincaid. I like the idea that, Kin- I mean, first of all, he was not supposed to be the guy at Utah. Brant Kuthi was. And the fact that he was able to take that, be an athlete, uh, Brandon being talked about as a lead hands last night, I just really like that weapon. And and what he does, Bean was talking about this last night, what he does to defenses and the structures they're going to have to be in, uh, I think it's really going to help Buffalo this year. Another note from last night's coverage, uh, Tampa at 19 yeah, takes uh, Kalijah Kansi. If he's... Here's here's a rule I have. If the player that was drafted is compared to Aaron Donald, then he should go higher than 19. Uh, yeah, I thought that he he's a pit. He has pit black six one D size question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh well, pencil him as the next Aaron Donald. It's like, oh cool, he's, he's at 19. Excellent, wonderful win. Um, the um the uh, I just have certain players. I'm sorry. There's just certain players I don't ever want to see a comp up next to. Yes. Um, I think the Bucks are a pretty good uh Drake May, Caleb Williams team, by the way. I was thinking about that this morning. Who's gonna totally bottom out? Who needs a quarterback? Who wants a quarterback? Who's not gonna feel who's gonna be in a market where you can kind of take a year off? I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, I have a question for you. I was thinking about this. Football, it's so hard to do this. So you still have to operate as if you're trying to be competitive. And, you know, no offense to your sport, but I I do say this quite often. Everybody wants to talk about like, man, the games are so close, they're so competitive. It's like, yeah, but if you just turn the ball over, which is a lot of luck anyway, and fumble recovers especially, like all of a sudden a team that should be, well, in today's case, six and eleven can all of a sudden be like nine and eight. Like that's it. Right. Like that's kind of what the sport is. So I don't think football can go in with a predetermined plan of like we're gonna we're gonna try to like maybe halfway through the season you go, all right, we suck, and let's start doing some of these things. <laughs> I would ask fans this question. If you were Tampa, all right, let's just do it. You're a Bucks fan. I will guarantee you the number one pick next year, but your team doesn't play football this season. So they take it, take it off. Uh, I think no most games. people would take that. No, no, I think most people would take that. You think so? I think most Bucks fans would take that. Yeah. Yes. I think Cardinals fans would take that. I'm open just it up. Say- open, open up Sundays. <laughs> nice weather in both those places. What if it's what if it's you the season plays out, but you you get your ass kicked every single week? I mean, I think that's already what happens. Okay. All right. Remember yeah, the yeah, Dolphins yeah. a couple of years ago? They're just losing by 45 points every weekend. Okay, so it's no football, so no tailgates, no Sunday. Like you can say, "Hey, your Sunday's open up now." I don't know. I mean, people are gonna start hanging out with their families. 
I think that's what football, football isn't family. Football is an escape from your family. It depends. I'll say this. It depends on the market. So like one of the reasons I think people are so emotional about college football is that it's in a lot of places where there's not a ton of competition, right? So like yes. if you're a huge uh, University of Florida fan and you live near Gainesville, like you don't, it's not like you can just pop down every night and see the magic or whatever, right? Um, Iowa, Nebraska, that kind of stuff. And uh, if you're a Cardinals fan, you can just be like, ah, oh, man, like, you know, we only have to wait a month and a half and we get Suns preseason or we get Ki- we can go to the Coyotes 3000 seat arena and just, you know, see them muck it up. I, I think it just depends on the market. That's why that's why I think not to bring this into a weird place. But when when COVID was happening and they were like, we're going to cancel college football. People were really mad because it's, it's kind of the only thing a lot of people do. And like, I, I know a lot of those people. I love those people and I get it because I'm obsessed with college football. But it's, there are a lot of people where it's like college football is their only thing. Yes. Yes. I think NFL right fans are much likelier. Right. NFL fans are much likelier to be like, you know what? I'm good with taking one year off, exactly one year, to get Caleb Williams or Drake May, depending on who your front office likes, and then we'll roll it over. Well, the city of Los Angeles went 20 years without a team. All fair. I'm just saying it sounds easy for two guys to just theorize on it, but then it comes around and it's like November and you go, I kind of miss football. What I team What team are lot. you? What team? Would say no. You, what team do you feel the most passionate about in, in the sports? Vermont? Uh, probably not. Red Sox? Um, I don't really know that I have one anymore. No, that's what I'm uh, maybe, asking. Look, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll look, if St. John's were to go on a run, yeah, uh, that's that's when I would kind of be back to me being pretty excited. Like, excited, and, and I would measure my excitement based on would I actually be bummed out if they didn't win? Like, that's the thing. And I mean, I know this sounds weird to do this this long, but now when something that I rooted for loses, I don't care. Like, I could, I'm on to the next thing. I don't, hmm. which... Yeah, so I'm bad. I'm an awful person to ask. Look, if St. John's were in the Final Four and lost to Duke, then I then you might see a bummed out version of me back to my early 20s. Like I was still mad. I I left my own house when they lost to Gonzaga in the tournament as a two seed. I walked out of my own apartment. I had people over. My girlfriend. Where'd you go? A bar. Yeah. Yeah, and then her girlfriend started giving me shit. She's like, "You take sports way too seriously." I was like, "Fucking leave me alone." I really wow. liked I liked that St. John's team. I went to a couple Iona games. Uh, I live right down the street, and I saw Patino coach him up. It was good. He looks good. I heard he's good. <laughs> I heard he's good. He is good. Anyway, yeah, I think teams would... T- there, there are markets that would take one year off for Caleb Williams. All right. Yeah, I like it. It's a nice little exercise. Maybe the, the funnier exercise is which team wouldn't. They're like, nope, we're not doing that. And I'm not talking about like, the good ones, Kansas City fans yeah. going, well, we wouldn't like, yeah, we kind of knew that ahead of time. Um, all right. I have F1 stuff that I want to get to. I want to last at last draft thing. Last draft thing. Did Sham Sharani just decide to do a minor flex on having some of the top picks and then he just stopped tweeting them? What what happened there? I, I don't know. Um, I've never met Shams. I saw Shams. Uh, I saw him at a fan duel party before a killer's concert uh, at the Super Bowl. It's the only time Sounds- I've been in the same room with him. Sounds like a um, good time. It was, it was a great time. I, I have more respect for the Killers than I used to. I'll oh, yeah. That. I love the Killers. 
Yeah, I just wasn't a killer's guy. And then I saw him and uh, it, like Brandon Flowers, you know, huge hair. You know, nobody looks like that anymore. Nobody looks like that. He's wearing a suit. Anyway. Yeah, nobody looked um, like him when he first, first off, he looked like, do you want a smoky Moscow mule? Like in the killers were first yeah. on the scene. You're like, this guy is quite the mixologist. We're like, oh no, he's, he's one, a great singer. The one thing about him is that he kind of shoots his way out of cringe. Like he's cringe, but he's so like, I don't mean cringe is the wrong, maybe the wrong phrase for it. He's Who so talking into about? it. Shams? No, I'm talking about Brandon Flowers. Oh. I'm just saying he, he, he is so into it and so earnest that he then somehow becomes cool, but it takes like four songs to be like, oh, okay, this is fine. It's a little yeah. Springsteenish, a little Springsteenish. Like he's okay. so into it that you just have to adjust your your uh, how you're viewing it. All right. Anyway, I think we covered. Uh, what was Shams doing? I I don't know what Shams was doing. I I don't. That was that was not something I expected. No, but it was definitely a. I could do this too. If you wanted me to, and then it was like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's what's happening. I mean, at some point, people thought that he broke Trump having COVID. And it had just the, the tweet had already not, happened yeah. a minute before. And then he was like, Trump has COVID. And people were like, this guy's on fire. Like, where's is Mark Jackson coming to the Nets? You're like, yeah, I don't. What? Which is, what's happening here? Okay. All right. Before we go any deeper, let's go abroad. We are supported by YouTube and YouTube TV, the new home of NFL Sunday Ticket. So if you're going to be watching NFL Sunday Ticket, you're going to be watching on YouTube and YouTube TV. Now's your chance to catch the lowest full season price. Get $100 off when you sign up today at YouTube.com slash Russillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. And I've seen some things in the draft that I'm obviously excited for. Now, the first thing is I want to watch all the rookie quarterbacks play, right? Because I have no idea. Every team says, yeah, it doesn't really matter. We're going to give these guys plenty of time. We're going to we're going to develop and we're going to coach them up. And then it always feels like week one, the guys running out there and then they'll run a little bit like, man, look how dynamic this player is. And it's like, all right, we'll see what happens. So some screens on the rookies, um, other rookies that I'll be looking for. Kincaid, Buffalo, uh, Witherspoon's probably my favorite player in this draft. The corner at Illinois going to Seattle, where he probably ended up going as high as he possibly could, considering the defensive linemen and the quarterbacks that went ahead of him. And then I'll probably throw a screen on when Kyle comes over, watch some pats, and you can see Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon. All right, that's probably what will happen on Sundays. Thanks to NFL Sunday Ticket on YouTube and YouTube TV for sponsoring this segment. If you're as into football as I am, it's time to sign up for NFL Sunday Ticket on YouTube and YouTube TV so you can watch it all go down this fall. Check out your favorite teams out of market Sunday afternoon games and stream up to four games at once with multi-view on NFL Sunday Ticket on YouTube and YouTube TV. Sign up today and get $100 off at YouTube.com slash Russillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer N66. No refunds. Device restrictions apply. Continued economic responsibility demands restraint in government expenditure. And last year we achieved the largest ever recorded reduction in the budget deficit, 1.5 billion. Okay, Max Verstappen's won two of three races. Uh, Bahrain, yep. Australia, although I'll tell you, the Sergio Perez stuff in Saudi Arabia was perhaps my favorite part of this early stretch of the season. Um, Red Bull looks terrific again. 
Lewis has a podium on top of a fifth and a fifth. There's a bunch of different things. Where do you want to start? Let's start with Max and his dominance because I think we all saw this coming where Verstappen was going to have a bit of a route and that no car could catch Red Bull and that's what's happening. Um, I think that for the sake of the American F1 boom, something needs to happen, whether that's Fernando Alonso continuing to improve, getting podiums. Um, he's third in the driver standings right now. I love that. There's some weird Taylor Swift rumors I don't really understand. Um, the next race after Baku is Miami. I'm going. Uh, I leave on Wednesday. Um, I'm intrigued to see how this kind of all develops because we really can't have... Like, American sports fans are kind of going to tune out if... As much as it is a soap opera, as much as it is kind of, as I've said before, like the Real Housewives of Monaco, uh, there needs to be some sort of compelling on-track drama going forward. And I don't know if if Red Bull being so good is going to help with that. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I feel like the number of people that still talk about it all the time, like, was it a moment? And now it's like, okay, we're back to normal. Uh, it isn't for me. And I thought, I wondered, like, wait, is this was this a fad for you? And then I caught myself watching two of the last three races, and the one I didn't watch, I had taped, and I went back and watched it. So I was like, yeah, I guess I really am into this. So Verstappen's dominance, uh, not surprising. I mean, even Leclerc has the pole this week, and he's like, I'm not going to hang on to this, which is so funny to hear, you know, in this version of events, an athlete where no athlete be like, yeah, I know we took the first two games from him, but we're going to lose this series. And he's just like, yeah, we're, we're not going to be able to hang on to this lead whatsoever. The one thing I like about this year is that Fernando Alonso putting pressure on these guys is al allowing younger fans to understand who Fernando Alonso is. So Fernando Alonso, uh, multiple-time world champion in 2005-2006, like on track to be one of the best ever, and then is kind of an internal politics nightmare to the point that things would just go south for him. He was in a handful of kind of internal scandals, uh, never really got along well with a lot of the team principals, all of that stuff. A little bit. It's funny because pre-welfare scandal, I used to compare him a little bit to Brett Favre, where it's like this is a guy who really had the talent a guy. and was on was was on track to do really special things, and was just kind of like, uh, actually, let me go play for the Jets and the Vikings and feud with everybody and be weird, and also randomly throw thirty-yard ducks in overtime of playoff games. Right? Like it. It was a little bit of that. Um, Fernando probably will have a better second second half of his life, um, but. I just think that having him relevant is is important to this and him putting pressure on on those guys is is really, really cool. And I think that, you know, I saw a couple quotes from Baku. I haven't been able to pay all that much attention this week to Baku because of the draft. But it's like the Hamilton-Alonzo rivalry, which was a real thing for a long time. It's almost entering this new chapter. It's not almost. It is entering this new chapter where they're kind of elder statesmen of the sport and how that develops, they're three and four right now in the driver's championship. To have those kind of battles and an improved Aston Martin car that Alonso's in, I think it's really cool. And I think I think it's enough to keep me uh, interested. It's enough. I mean, obviously, it's it's my job to be interested, but I'm just saying from a from a casual fan standpoint, I think it's enough to have to get eyeballs on it. Um, I think that people are kind of grasping the history through through that. So um, that's a really cool thing about this year. And if you just cut out 
sort of, I mean, it's almost like college football, right? Where you just have to kind of cut out Georgia from the rest of everything. Uh, if you just cut out Checo and, and, and Verstappen, uh, there's, there's a pretty interesting uh, rest of the grid. Okay, but the reason I love Saudi Arabia, though, is Sergio is ahead of Max. And Max is going back to Horner being like, okay, what are we doing? <laughs> and, and, and Red Bull's like, well, Sergio's winning. You know, it's like, okay, well, you know, Max is basically saying, like, aren't you going to tell him to let me pass him? And it's like, it's the second race of the season, dude. Right? It was the second race, I think. Yeah. And, you know, at that point, it's like, hey, maybe the end of the year we're fighting. And then I think Max actually says, we're fighting for a world title here. (laughs) (laughs) And so we knew it was a little pissy between those two and the whole dynamic at the end of last year. I mean, this is really good stuff. You want drama. This is all the soap opera stuff. And I don't know. I probably just entered at the wrong time because I don't know if I'd root for Max if I was like a long time guy. But I enjoy him being such a cyborg that yes. I can't get enough of it. Like hearing his accent and the way he phrases that, the absurdity of it at the time, the second race into the season, knowing all the stuff they're coming off of at the end of last year where he and Perez clearly had issues with each other. Uh, I love that stuff. I, and it's it's a version of this sport that we just don't get in other sports. I thought that bringing Ricardo in as the reserve guy was really interesting because I think it was a message to, to Checo because it's not a message to Max. It's a message to Checo like, hey, man, keep this harmonious. And it's on you to keep this harmonious or else we have Daniel Ricardo, who everybody loves just hanging around making TikToks and, and going on Instagram lives and stuff. And like he's ready to hop in the car whenever he needs to. Yeah, uh, that by was the way, a really well, interesting statement. He, Right. Ricardo, everybody's favorite guy from the series doesn't have a car right now. Um, and it's been a slow trickle down. Like what he's the reserve. So what does that mean? Like they think he's going to be in the seat next year? No, I mean, it's possible there's some sort of secret agreement, but beyond anything, it just means every everybody has like Nick DeVries was this for for Mercedes. There have been a couple of Van Dorn was a reserve from for Mercedes, I think. And um there are guys, you know, I think Esteban Ocon was a driver, uh, a reserve driver in the year he was he was he was out of it. Um, but I think that uh he's just the he's a backup guy. I mean, that's 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 what it is, but when it's a guy with that stature, that's Sending a message. I mean, it's not a million miles away from like when the the NBA coach is in trouble and they hire Mike D'Antoni to be the number two guy, and it's like, wait, why is it, wait, why is this guy here? Like, hold on, is he here to turn? Like, what was the uh, the Red Sox do that like a decade ago where they brought in a really empowered bench coach and then he took over? Like, maybe maybe two decades ago, maybe we're just old. Um, but it's like that. It's that kind of thing where it's like, all right, I just want you to know, the looking over your shoulder in the paddock is one of the best drivers of his generation. Just a little FYI. Okay, the Mercedes dynamic. Um, we're looking at Lewis, who's had two fifth-place finishes and a podium. Uh, I think the Mercedes part of this is still very interesting. They feel like they're in the mix. And, and George Russell uh, is not Valtteri Botas at all. And that's, I think, the part of this where... I've really enjoyed that. Like we're talking about the Max Sergio part of it. Russell's not, he doesn't care about Hamilton's resume. And there's certain weekends where he looks like the better driver. I don't know if it comes down to a car thing. I mean, he loses his shit, but then he's also very formal. This week, I think he actually said, oh, sugar over the mic when he was (laughs) upset about something. Um, Although he runs pretty hot during the races. That is not, I'm just happy to be here at all, uh, which was certainly understood with Botas. 
So Mercedes was always in a weird spot because Toto Wolf, even coming into the season, was basically saying they don't think they're going to figure out the car until mid-year. Um, I think that there were a lot. I think so many teams were behind the eight ball last year that they always knew with the lead that Red Bull had that it was going to be a while. And so I think there's been a little bit of awkwardness all season with Mercedes because of that, because they knew that they weren't going to be in much of a fight um, in the first in the first half of the season. So I don't know how this develops. Um, Lewis clearly is going to be. I mean, there were there were a couple of years there where there were kind of retirement rumblings every year for Lewis, especially when he was winning titles. I think he's more competitive um, than than the type of guy who would just walk away from all of this. So um, Toto's whole thing is empathy. People managing. I think he did a podcast uh, a couple like a year ago, and the title was uh, "Empathy Over Engineering." And the whole thing was like, "We just, we just love people. We just love people." And it's like, okay, well, put your people hat on because you're gonna have to manage these relationships. And also, by the way, you're gonna have to manage engineering because the car needs to get better. Um, so the whole thing, and this kind of goes back to the Eagles locker room thing, right? It's a hell of a lot easier to manage a locker room when you're winning world titles. And even the Botas year where he was, you know, getting upset at Drive to Survive over the Instagram comments, they were still winning World Constructors Championships during those years. So now you're not. You don't have that carrot. Um, what do you do? What's your next move? And that, that's, that's I think, the, the fascination with Mercedes is you're not the dominant team. You're not even close to the dominant team. You don't have the chance to be the dominant team. So, like, what, what's your next pitch? Because you don't have what you used to have. Great to have you back. Uh, what do you have as far as your schedule now so you can promote it? Slow news days this week. Travis Kelsey, Vaughn Miller. Uh, we had Lindsey Jones and we had Sauce Gardner. Sauce Gardner said it's going to be easy to make the playoffs on slow news day this week. Um, next week, Some uh, we John, had Lindsay on John Morant vibes. A little bit as people were actually saying that when he quote tweeted yeah. it and tried to walk it back and people in the comments were like, we're good in the West. And it's like, oh, yeah. Um, on Monday, I think I'm going to have a recruiting guy on. I think I want to talk about this recruiting thing that I alluded to earlier about how the recruiting pipeline is getting clearer to the NFL. It's a little bit NBA-ish. It's a little bit NBA-ish where it's like a lot of times there'll be a rookie and the NBA media will be like, where'd this guy come from? And it's like, actually, it turns out he was a ninth player in his high school class. And like he was a five star and, you know, already had a Gatorade deal when he was 12. Um, so I'm intrigued to, uh, to see that. And so I'll, I'll get a recruiting guy on. I'll, I'll make some calls this afternoon, but that's, that's Monday. And we also have a, a first round recap this morning with Lindsay. Great to see you, man. Thanks for everything as always. And we'll uh, catch up later in the season. See you soon, pal. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra. An appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. 
you earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. Kyle, my man, what's going on? What's up? Is is this the part where we talk about Christian Gonzalez? Um, is it the life <laughs> advice part? Or I was just wondering. I mean, you guys did so so much, and it was like a steal in the draft, and everyone was like uh, uh, happy. Bill was getting all these texts yesterday, and I was like, I wonder what Ryan thinks. And uh, I don't really know what you think. So I guess I guess maybe next week you just need to have like iron out some thoughts before you say anything. Steal the draft. Why would I? What? Why would I care about the Pats draft? Why would I oh, do? God right. damn it. <laughs> I saw your tweet. They traded down. You're all fucking upset. You did like single word dot single word dot sentences like to really emphasize the point how depressed you were. How much did you know about Christian Gonzalez 48 hours ago? Oh, dude, it's the same that I knew about Patrick Chung when he got drafted all those years ago. But then I was like, all right, the Oregon guy, let's take a look. I'm in. I love it. So uh, I'm in. I love it. I don't know. I was hoping you who who does all the work uh, normally could have just said a few fucking words. But I guess uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> off to a good start friday tension continues yeah <laughs> yeah right uh, a little concert update i may be going to see willie nelson this weekend at the hollywood bowl with a couple big time famous people wow they're, they're like Rosillo's spring concert tour is just it's incredible no one even knew it was happening <laughs> even me the bowl is your uh, spot huh is that your favorite place to go Dude, I this is all brand new. This isn't uh Hollywood Bowl is incredible though. Like if you haven't been to it and you live near it, you've been. Who did you see there? Corn, Kyle? <laughs> Me, I haven't been to the bowl. I went to I went that to was, see Johnny. He said I went to see my guy Johnny at the uh at the uh what's it called? The Coliseum. But yeah, not the bowl. Never never been invited actually. So uh I guess I'll, yeah. I'll have to take a look at the schedule and just take myself, you know. Wait, you said Willie Nelson? Yeah. This is like back-to-back big drug guy concerts for you. And, and you're, yeah. <laughs> you're just going to be sitting there, probably most sober dude there. There you go. Good for you. I guess Paul Dano was at the fish show that I was at. Feels like Love Paul out. Dano's work. Like Paul Dano's an auto for me, but yep. I can't fathom talking to him about it, anything. Like there's no way he's that good of an actor. Like could I be like, hey, man, what's going on? Uh, I don't know. He's so good in Prisoners. I fucking love him and everything. He's he a fantastic actor, but yeah, like I, you only picture him as like the weird, creepy guy in every role he's ever played. I can't imagine him being anything other than that. He's probably like over the top, graciously nice. A lot of the the artists, you know, just hey, what's going on? Um, but I don't know if there would be any real connection there. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Okay, so I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna go to this show. And by the way, the big time famous guys not entirely true. It's just sort of one guy. Whatever. We'll we'll tell the story if we have a story to tell. We'll tell it. All right. I was kind of like, all right, I don't know. Would I go to Willie Nelson by myself? Would I go with someone else? Would I go with somebody that wasn't my friend? No, no, and no. All right, life advice. We have an update. We have an update. 
remember our guy chiming in about his brother-in-law, George, the Amway guy? Mm-hmm. It was a brother-in-law, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so. it was the brother-in-law. All right. Uh, update. Major Amway relapse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad. <laughs> I'm saddened, but also somewhat giddy to report that George has suffered a major Amway relapse. His activity had tallied off, but this weekend he drove his wife up to Las Vegas for a giant Amway conference. Somehow they ate at two different Nobus in one weekend, and George won a grand playing roulette. So nobody can say selling Amway doesn't pay. The next day they <laughs> headed to a sold out Thomas and Mack Center, home of your running rebels, for yeah. an 11. 11- an 11-hour all-day event. From the videos he sent, which is an awesome part of this story that's kind of easy to <laughs> overlook. That Just he keeping was everyone send- updated. Yeah, yeah, that he was sending videos to these guys, being like, I'm... Uh, from the videos he sent, mostly seemed like inspirational speakers and an anthrax cover band. What? <laughs> that can't be true. It may have seemed that way. I don't... <laughs> right, right. <laughs> What would you name your Anthrax cover band? That's a stumper right there. I don't. I don't yeah, have an answer yeah. either. Yeah, just move. I don't have one I could pull out. Pass. Uh, <laughs> would you want to be in a cover band? If you could be in any cover band, Kyle, what would your cover band be? Cover band. Ah, shit. Uh, Bob Seger cover band. Checks out. That would be badass, Kyle. Or excuse me, Kyle Cerruti. Uh, the hive. Why don't we just uh, the killers would be fun? We'll go off the Kevin Clark vibe. I don't know. I like the killers. It would be killers fun. is the, the killers is the best pick for you. Yeah, doesn't seem like you really mean that. Uh, I do like the killers. I don't love the killers, but I feel like everybody likes their songs. They're easy to sing. You know, Mr. Brightside, get everybody happy. You'd have more good nights than bad nights. Basically, yeah, I'm not a good saying. singer, so okay. like if I'm just gonna okay. sing songs that people like, then yeah, that's a pretty easy one to do. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Seventies well, Joel, I would do as well. Yeah, seventies Joel. Not eighties Joel. Not eighties, just seventies. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know that's out there already, so I figure seventies would be good. <laughs> like you can't go Queen because you're just never going to be able to live up. Like I would love to, sure, I'd love to sing Queen songs, but I'm never going to be able to sing Freddie Mercury like properly. So that's kind of off the table. Yeah, a bad Queen cover band. Like all the guys are great, and then they're just like, dude, he can't hit any of the notes. <laughs> oh yeah, I got absolutely hammered on my thirtieth birthday in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and we went to a karaoke bar, and I sang "Don't Stop Me Now." And I, pro- I thought I killed it. And video footage the next day was, was not, yeah, it's never not, the same great. As it not feels. great. Not awesome. So <laughs> we'll do it once. Did not kill it upon further review. All right. Let's <laughs> see here. Uh, so, all right. Um, talk about a bender. That's what he says. Uh, oh, I, <laughs> I also think he's gotten Botox. When I saw him recently, he looked a little, diff- uh, little different. I asked him if something happened, and all he said was, quote, most salesmen think they are selling the product, but they're really selling themselves. Yes. It's a smart investment <laughs> to make sure you look your best. George is back, baby. I'd have George on, but I'm afraid I'd start buying stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Next get, you get a subscription plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's do this. This is simple. Okay. five ten one fifty eight pickup game reminiscent of Jose Alvarado crossing small handed Rondo, a small handed Rondo. Okay. Um, I belonged to a small gym in new England. A couple months ago, I sent a girl, I, I, uh, a like 
I sent a girl a like on Hinge without realizing she was the same girl I'd been seeing around the gym. I immediately regretted sending the like as I realized it would be unlikely she would match with me considering I sent a like on Hinge rather than approach her in person. I've been seeing her at the gym a couple times per week ever since and have avoided making eye contact considering she decided not to match with me. Recently, I've noticed what seems to be behavior on her end inviting me to start a conversation. Uh, electing to do exercises with equipment adjacent to me, eye contact, etc. Should I approach and risk making an awkward situation worse or stay the course of avoidance considering my like was not reciprocated? Oh, okay. So that's the issue, right? You guys are going to have to talk dating apps. You're going to have to. Are you, so is a like like a poke on Facebook where it's like an, an innocuous, like not sure what to do. I guess I'll poke you back or maybe I won't because I don't want to be poked back by you. Or is a like like a match? A like isn't a match, right? Because Hinge Hinge is like a profile, right? And there's like things on it. And uh, where Tinder, it's just like, it's like you match or you don't. I'm not. I think I'm a like positive. is send nudes, no? <laughs> it, it's on. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, but a like, I don't think a like is like a match, right? A like is like. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think the poke analogy is is on point there. I got to think. Him, I got to think quickly here. This is, this is how does a Hinge like work? Do you get a like? From who? Uh, well, no, I, I, no, I, I only use the only dating app I ever used was Tinder. I, I kind of like missed that whole boat. I started dating my now wife kind of when that thing blew up. But anyway, this says when someone likes you, they have a, they have to match a certain thing on your profile, whether it's liking a picture or commenting on one of your answers, you get a notification when they do that. So basically you have a, you have some sort of common ground situation. I don't know. That means it's like fully on, but it's like a, you know, a starter. Yeah. Right. Oh, I, so I, what did he like? Did he like her fitness passion or did he like a photo where she looked hot? Like we don't, we don't know exactly what it was that he liked. Right. Yeah. It sucks. You're getting married, Kyle. Cause this would be like, your, your <laughs> right. And, no, I'm sorry. Actually, it's congratulations. We're happy for you, but, but it actually sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about the podcast. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. Next time, dude, seriously. All right. So, um, <laughs> I think Kyle was, I think the initial thing Kyle said what were pokes all about? Dude, how so fucking weird. So weird looking back. <laughs> I think about how creepy that is. Hey, dude, you poker? Yeah, man. Let's see what happens. <laughs> that was a thing that people said. It really, I think I've said it. She didn't respond. You know what? You should poke her again. Definitely. You know, what? do it a couple but times then, a week. But then also my like my grandma's poking me and my <laughs> my drunk auntie's poking me. And then this hot girl, I'm like in a poke thing with her. And like a dude in my class is poking me because I don't think he knows how it works. It was just, it was a strange collection of, of individuals, I think. Yeah. What were the dude pokes like? Fringe dudes at best. I mean, I don't, right. Because a guy could poke, but you'd be like, I'm sure some guys were like, what are you? Come on, man. <laughs> don't don't poke me. <laughs> All right. So uh, here's what this guy has. He thinks he has a problem, and I think he actually has a solution. Firefest. Great starts are hard. You have a bad start that now is a way to actually start. Like the whole debate about like what's harder, starters or closers? I think starting is harder. I mean, closing is more rewarding, but I think starting is harder. Honestly, my move for, I don't know, late teens through a majority of the 20s was an awful start that then gave me an advantage <laughs> as a conversation starter where I'd be like, oh, hey. And then I had I had a leg up because 
I was already past all the initial stuff. It was just now I had like something to talk about. And then now the comments are flying and the conversation's real. And it's not that weird, awkward fucking, you know, birthing of, of the entire relationship. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I think you have something here. Um, if all of the other signs are on point, like I would ask you a little self-scattering report. Do you notice when other women have been interested in you? Right. Do you notice, like, are you good at this? Are your reads generally good? You know, or, or are you thrown into too deep all the time? You know, have, <laughs> have you, have you had, like, you're telling us that she's making eye contact. She's, she's being around you a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like if all these things are true, then you have a great start. Now, I didn't realize like maybe the not liking you back or whatever. I, you know, maybe, maybe she's just not like that, dude. But I, I cannot emphasize this enough. There's so many times where you think you get off to this bad start. And in reality, you got off to a great start because you have something that differ, uh, differentiates you from everybody else. That word's always a bit of a challenge. So I like this. I, I think if this nonverbal contact part is real, this communication that's going on, if this is actually a real thing, I think you actually have an advantage where you could then say like, hey, uh, I liked you on Hinge and now I'm super embarrassed about it. So, you know, whatever, like slow play it a little bit because you're not embarrassed, right? Not fucking remotely embarrassed, dude. But you have a unique opener that every other guy does not have, even if you feel like it's kind of awkward. Yeah, I, I mean, especially if you've um, if you're saying you've got more like more FaceTime with her, you actually have more opportunities. I was going to say, I don't really know how to how to uh, talk to, to a woman in the gym. I was always just like, man, keep your keep your eyes front and, you know, stay off of people's videos of, you know what I mean? There's some, some phones. <laughs> Military <somewhere>. school. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I don't like, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't be a person to do it in that situation, but if you've done it before and now you're saying that you seem in your head that you're, you know, that you, that she's in front of you more and around you more then it, this should be actually pretty easy. As long as, as long as you're correct about it, man, as long as you're not, as long as it's not in your head, cause it can be in your head. That uh, you know, oh, dude, she's just she's near me now all the time. I don't know what the what's that about. As long as as long as that's true, then yeah, you're good. So just to add a little more context too. Apparently, when when this like thing does happen, you get a notification, and that person can either reply to you, remove you, or click like match, and then you could initiate the conversation. So she liked he liked one of her things, right? And then the, like the move was kind of her move, and she, he didn't mention that she did anything. So that that's kind of is that maybe a red flag that she didn't really maybe she's maybe know. she's backed up though, you know? Maybe she's backed <laughs> up with likes. Could be backed up. Could be backed up. I mean, look, there's obviously another version of this where it goes terribly wrong. He's not reading anything correctly. He's going to go up to her and be like, oh, "Hey, yeah. I like John Hinge." And she's going to go, nope. "Yeah, I know, loser. That's why I didn't like you back." <laughs> yeah. Or she's yeah. going to go, "You did, and you stopped me at the gym to tell me you liked my Hinge, yeah. which went unreciprocated." Like, no. All right. I don't know. Look, it's 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 like if you have no money and I tell you to do something and the two end results are one, you're going to have no money and the other one is you're going to have some money. <laughs> why not try? Right? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to talk about Robin Banks here, but in this situation, you're at zero now. If it doesn't work out, you're just at zero again. 
right? If you're cool about it. Although, you know, the hitting on asking girls out of gym thing, I don't know how anybody does it. You might be writing a whole new email after right. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, like, I got so, a new gym now. Like, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm in big trouble, guys. <laughs> hey, that guy from Equinox that lost his shit there and they got mad at you guys for criticizing. Where does he work out now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you ever let you know? <laughs> After he told you guys to go fuck yourselves, did he did he leave a forwarding gym that he was at by any chance? All right, uh, let's do this one. I'm gonna crank it up a notch. Do a little kid alert. All right, there's your alert. <laughs> that was that was at least three seconds. Yeah, right. You go too long. Look what I was on Mike and Mike and. I actually can't laugh about it because it's it's bad, so I can't get too specific. But my co-host decided to do a moment of silence without telling anybody else on the show. And it was live radio. And there's a computer program that will shut down everything, like 300 to 400 stations. It will shut down the entire network, the United States of America, if the program doesn't recognize any audio level. And I didn't know that because I had never had a moment of silence on the show. And the co-host did it for a good reason, but didn't tell anybody. Right. And then in my ear, the producer's going, talk, 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 oh, no. talk, talk. Oh, and I'm, I'm thinking like, how do I balance not interrupting this unprompted moment of silence on live radio? <laughs> Jesus, what was the moment of silence for? Do you remember? I'm not. I do, and I'm not. You can't. I don't want to. I don't want to cut no, it. No, because later it's either. it's something that you would have a moment of silence for. It's an awful thing that happened. No one would have an issue with that, right? Yeah. No, the problem is is that it's not being insensitive when you don't want your entire network to shut down. So what did you yeah. did you make a noise like, a, or did you or did you actually or did you actually say like? Oh, and one thing God. to remember as we think about this moment of silence. Like, you know, I do think the Mavs, you know, I don't mind that the Mavericks have moved on from some of their vets, but uh, yeah, it was a tough one. That was a tough one. I, I talked. I mean, I eventually, I jumped in because it was like, talk, talk, I'll never forget because I know, talk, 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 talk. And then he's going like, the sh the, the system's going to shut down. The system's going to shut down. Oh my God. I, like, I know. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I obviously will That's never do that. Okay. All right. All right. So look, now I've built this up too much and it's it's not. Uh, let's just get to it. Newly Christian. Uh, no, not newly Christian swingers. Nope. That wouldn't make <laughs> newly Christian swingers balancing friend group dynamic. Although I'm sure, you know, whatever. Whatever. Okay. Uh, it would have just been a more obscure title. Hey, boys. Love the pod. Six foot, 170, 215 bench, 300 squat, 345 uh, pound deadlift. Working on all three. You know what? You do you. Wow. Seems like the ideal swinger. Good for you. Live. You see, you have six foot 170. Those numbers tell you. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're saying you read that stat line. You think you think swinger immediately. <laughs> no, I'm just saying it's like it's not like like you don't want to show up to an orgy with a bunch of like, you know, 250 pounders, men and women. It's like, ah, this isn't what I thought. So uh, I don't know. I think once like that's not bad. That's not bad. If you're like a, a, a you know, an extra to a situation, especially, you know, I, I'm just thinking it sounds like uh, I'm going to stop. Yep. Good for you. <laughs> I didn't want it to stop. I wanted to see how long it was going to go. <laughs> I, 
Because I get your point, but it was so fucking funny, Kyle. Like, as soon as you heard those numbers, you're because you're right. Six, seven, squat, seven, 15. Like, uh oh, <laughs> you know, right. I get Who's it. Partnering up with. Yeah. yeah six foot yeah. 170. Kyle's going, hey, not not small, but not intimidating. Yes. All right. I can fight. This guy can hook up with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Not freaked out. All right, so this one may be outside your normal realm of life advice, you think? Uh, but I think you guys will be able to offer some unique insight. My long-term girlfriend and our closest friends that are married, ooh, non-married married. I don't know what the rules are for this. I just think this guy's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm not marrying her. Uh, all right. Long-term girlfriend, closest friends that are married recently went on vacation together. We've always been flirty with each other. And, and after drinks, an amazing first couple of days of the vacation, we brought up the idea of swinging the following day. We did the deed. And then a few more times before the vacation was over, went really well. We all enjoyed it. Uh, once we returned to normal life, we stopped until we recently discussed continuing as we all enjoyed it so much. All right. Here's where you guys can help me. Um, me and my newfound Eskimo brother are best buddies in a very tight group of core guys along with their significant others. We all hang out every weekend regularly, going to events, sporting events, just chilling. On vacation, we decided as a group to not tell anyone so it just wouldn't be awkward. Um, or so it wouldn't be awkward. Yep. Weird feelings, etc. cetera. Uh, I'm now a little worried we're going to be drinking and it's going to slip out or someone may catch the four of us all hanging out unannounced, which would be very weird in our friend group because we all have group chats asking to hang out or making plans every week. It sounds like this guy's got a ton of friends, which would make sense for a swinger. Um, my question is this. Do we rip the bandaid off now and tell everyone and apologize for not coming clean immediately or continue with our little secret and hope this weird guilt for lying to my core friends doesn't bother me so much moving forward? Uh, also, my Eskimo brother listens, so maybe he can follow up. <laughs> uh, I mean, by the way, my wife listens. She's always found you attractive, Rosillo. Not so much Saruti. Uh, hey, now. Hey, now. No, I mean, hey, don't worry about it. I think it's a real, real bad play for you to tell everybody else. You know, I think swinger code, I don't know that world all that much. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I really think everyone else in your friend group is going to be like, what? It's going to freak them out big time. That's my guess. I would think in most cases that would be the case. There are always exceptions. But if you don't want to change the core guide dynamic, I don't think you can ever tell them or ever screw up or start recruiting them, um, which also can lead to some, like usually when you're asked any kind of like string, uh, swinger problems, it's like, oh, the, the cross matching and transition, you know, they actually met up in a non-game. Like, you know what I mean? All of a sudden it just turns into an affair and then there's all sorts of code breaks going on left and right. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of a disaster. Um, Look, I think it's, I actually think like whatever you're doing, like if everybody's happy and cool with it, whatever, like I'd almost admire that. I don't, cause I just couldn't imagine watching my buddy, you know, get down with my wife in front of me. I just, I don't, you know, I'm not even married and it bums me out. So that would be something that I'm not mature enough to handle. 
Uh, and I can only imagine the fucking fights that I would have if I were married and I did do that. And then my wife's like, oh, you cuddled. You definitely fucking cuddled at the end. <laughs> you never cuddle with me. And, you know, like, so I think anyone that's, you know, there's probably some people listening to this going like, this is awful or whatever. But like, I just think anyone that's mature enough, if this is what your thing is, and then you can handle all the stuff that I could just never possibly handle. Maybe, I don't know if admire is the right word. I guess I'm just, wow, that's, but. <laughs> it just changes the dynamics so much in the friend group. Like, play this exercise out. Imagine you with your core friends and the wives, as you mentioned here. Like, the wives are all hanging out, too. There's going to be some people who really, really think this is awful, and they they can't believe it. Like, you're talking about this as some betrayal, that you're keeping this secret from them. I mean, yeah, I would say still keep it a secret. It's not a betrayal, though. That's not at thing. all. Like, you're not right. betraying them by not, like, you don't have to tell them every little intimate detail of your life, so. Yeah, I mean, like, are the wives into you guys telling this? Like, you know, are they into that? Or are you like, is the other couple, like, are they, like, straight up, like, are they seasoned swingers? Or is it the first time for them, too? Like, they don't, they don't necessarily know what comes with being out in the world and being a swinger. I don't. I'm not sure. I'd say that, like, if you tell the the dudes in the group, like, they might they might even be like not ready to be mature enough to handle that and like start making jokes, like, you know, your buddy Doug's gonna be like, oh shit, Dave's wife was looking at me at the barbecue. Did you see that? Like, <laughs> that might be a joke that that's like that that circle shouldn't be having, and you'd be like, God damn it, I wish I didn't fucking say anything because, um, you know, you might not be cool with how people talk about it, and um. I don't know. I mean, dudes are still dudes, even if they're your core nice friends. They might say some shit that might, might seem fucked up to you when, you know, take something nice and make it ugly. So I'd say unprompted, you shouldn't feel like you have to do any of this, uh, bringing anything to light. And if you are, I I definitely ask both the both the wives in your life if they're cool with this being out, because maybe even the even if the dude's fine, the dude tells his wife and maybe his wife's like, I don't want her over here like she's going to be you know whatever and I don't want him looking at me like they might just look at you like you're weirdos even though it's just sort of a a piece of you know piece of whatever it is you do like so I would say I would say unprompted don't say anything you have nothing more Surdy? <laughs> no I would just say like I, I'm not here to like kink shame anybody but I do feel like it is really complicated when you do it with your a close core friend group person you know like it's so much easier. I feel like if you just do it with randoms that, and I know there's probably websites, but I don't know. I don't want to get into the weirdness of this, but like, <laughs> check out some man, websites. Let's like know just, what's out there. Swingersforyou.com. Um, Number four. I just think about this, like with my friend group. I, I just, I don't know how I would even talk about this with my other buddies. You know, I just, I, it would just be so incredibly awkward, and we're all pretty open about just everything, the jokes but, they would make. <laughs> it just yeah, would be a non-starter. I wish we did. I wish we did know who like so he said all right yo if, you, if we're hanging out and like it slips out uh no pun intended um Ooh, I, I wonder oh, which i wonder which, like, who is he referring to because i i wonder you're worried about somebody then you're worried about somebody leaking this information is it your buddy is it one of the is it one of the girls like i don't know you seem to be the one worried are they all worried about this as well as is one of them like kind of peppering you to be like yeah let's just talk about it maybe we can get more people involved because that would scare the shit out of me but um I, I, but without knowing any of that information at a bare minimum, you owe them nothing to tell them. If you're enjoying this and you guys are having fun, go for you. Uh, you know, do you go go for you? But or each other. I, yeah, I just I could not imagine doing that with a close friend. I mean, I couldn't imagine doing it anyway. But at least in my head, it's a little easier if you do it with a stranger than spend like your buddy's wife. All right, but just a thought exercise. <laughs> like if you were swingers with another one of your core buddies, like who? 
Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. look, I, I think I think this guy knows that he's gonna say something. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of what like somebody's gonna get. If there, it sounds like he's really cl- close with everybody else, but I'm telling you, if you if you do this as a come clean thing, one, as Suri said, there's there's no betrayal here. You don't have to tell everybody everything. Um, and if you do do that, either one of the husbands, more likely one of the significant others, is gonna have a major like challenge hanging moving forward or if it's like what if because here's what non-swingers don't want to do seen mad men like they don't want to like you know if there's what if it's you what if it's the email or his his girlfriend and then instead of the other couple they went on the vacation with they're switched out for something else for a little lake retreat or whatever and then they think they're probably going to say no now (laughs) they're probably going Mm -hmm. to straight up say no so i would i would keep it secret as long as you possibly can but it sounds like if you go on these trips like what are you going to do what if it's it's four or five couples and you're out in colorado and you're doing something does that mean you guys are going to sneak off into each other's cabin because you're going to get caught you're eventually going to get caught it's going to be awkward and i don't know i mean guys are hurting for friends all the time you've heard the emails here so <laughs> you know if you're, if you're going to do if you're going to if you're going to continue doing this like just make sure I would I would go out of my way to make sure the rest of the group that's not going to be comfortable about it. I don't feel like I need to tell them, and I want to make sure they don't find out. So that's what I would do. Yeah, but agreed. Again, I don't. You know, the intro to that conversation is so scary too. Like, I just it's not as easy as like, hey, do you guys want to hook up with each other's wives? Like, yeah, sure, let's do. It. Like, I, there's such a big lead up to that. Like he said, they were always flirty. Like, I just <laughs> once that like first domino falls, man, that's just I can't I can't imagine having that conversation with my buddy and his wife. Yeah, I think we covered it for people that have no idea what they're talking about. Yep, <laughs> fair. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Steve. Ryan Russillo Podcast, Ringer Spotify. Spotify.